If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. So good to see all of you tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts 17. Um, while Pastor Brandon was talking earlier about the love of God, I was um, thinking about, actually, you don't go there yet. Go to Romans. I'm sorry. Go to Romans chapter 4. And the last verse in Romans 4, which I think is 25, maybe, Romans 4.25, maybe is the last verse there. I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. And we'll go into verse uh, 5.1 as well. Yeah, let's back up to the last verse in 4. I think it's NIV. Who put NIV up there? What kind of church is this? Oh, one verse. No, this is fine. Uh, look at this. Yeah, 425. Who was delivered up because of our offenses, this is speaking of Jesus, and was raised because of our justification. Now, did you catch that? He was delivered up. Why? Because of our offenses or because of our sins. He was raised because of our justification. And then the next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we go. Now look at this. Now that prior verse said that he was raised because of our justification. Then this verse says that we are justified by how? All right. When I read this, these two verses, I'm something kind of doesn't make sense. And that is that we know that Christ died because of our sins, and he was raised because of our justification, but we're not justified until we believe. So then how was it? And our faith isn't actually. It isn't actually real until we actually believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what our faith is in, that he came up out of that grave. Okay? Are you seeing what I, my problem is here? He was raised because of our justification, but we weren't justified until we believed. So how did God work all that out? How did he, how did he make that make sense? How could he raise up Jesus if no one had yet believed, but we can't believe until he's actually raised up? <laughs> So whose faith is this talking about? I have to ask the question, whose faith is it talking about? God had to have some faith in this deal. Oh, no, God doesn't have faith. God's sovereign and he knows all and he is before all and he is after all and beyond all and he's sovereign and he's always been. I, I know that, but here's the thing. He also put a law in order on the earth. And that law was that men had the right to choose to believe or not believe. Right? So God subjected him, him, himself to his own law. You got to understand this. He's not going to make a law and then break that law. He holds himself to his word. All right? He keeps his laws. So he made this law a stamp that we would choose him. 
this is the amazing thing about the love Brandon was talking about. God so loved that he gave not just the best, but the only thing that he had. And when I think about that, there were no guarantees in that move. There were no guarantees that anyone would respond to that love. God took all of the risk. <laughs> he took all the risk. In hopes, in faith, that men would believe it. Now that is an extraordinary thought to me. That kind of love boggles my mind. With the thought, somebody's going to believe this and be willing to give up his only dearest son and take the risk with no guarantees. <laughs> that ought to do something to you tonight. I, mean, I don't know what that does for you, but that empowers me to love him more. I wouldn't know love if he hadn't loved me. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Amen. That's your first love. That's first love. When I was growing up, I was taught first love is get back to the place when you first got saved. Your first love. And then, I found, and then I read the Bible and found out that wasn't even true. First love is that God loved me. How can I give that which I don't receive? First love is to allow him to love me so that I can love others. Okay, all right. Now let's go to Acts 25. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. That just, what did I say, Acts 25? This is part 25, Acts 17. All right. Praise God. Verse 13, Acts 17, 13. But when the Jews, remember last week we talked about closed-minded and open-minded. We're going to kind of carry on with that same theme tonight, but, uh, oh, this is so powerful, this next bit of uh, scripture we're going to get into. Uh, verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Remember how, it's, how we were talking about last week, how the, those that were in Berea were the more fair-minded or of noble character. They were open-minded to hear what Paul had to say. The Thessalonican Jews were not. They caused a mob and caused a riot. Uh, so they heard that once Paul and them left and got to Berea and they, they could actually be with an audience that would listen to them and would reason with them and even search the scriptures for themselves to find out if what Paul had said was true. Then the, these guys from Thessalonica came down and they began to stir up the crowds. Okay, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, uh, both, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So now, Paul has left and shown up in Athens, and Silas and Timothy are waiting, are, are back, waiting for the next ride there. So Paul is simply waiting for them. And as Paul's waiting, he begins to peruse the city that is in, known as Athens. In verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over 
to idols. Now, we're going to look over Paul's communication method here in Athens. It's really awesome the way that he gets to the place where he's sharing the gospel with them. And it starts off first with a general observation. Now, you can look up, uh, if you have your YouVersion Bible app on your electronic device, I have some notes that you can follow by on there. Just go uh, tap the live button and then search One Cause Church or the local area code or zip code, I mean, and uh, you can find these notes. It's, I think it's labeled Acts Part 25. Okay, uh, so look at verse 16. Now, I'm going to kind of skip around the verses here uh, to piece this puzzle together, uh, the next few verses in this chapter. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Then Paul, verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things... You are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. I remember that my first trip to India in 2009, I was overwhelmed. I, I kind of understand what Paul was seeing here when got into that country, and there are idols everywhere. I mean, it was so different from the culture of America, of our Christian nation. I mean, it, I just was befuddled that all these carvings and, and craved, uh, uh, carved images and, and, and uh, uh, statues everywhere of these, all these gods. I don't know how many gods they have. Uh, they're increasing by the day. But I, I can kind of get a an understanding, a picture of what Paul is seeing. And he sees all of these and he finds an opportunity in this one inscription. And uh, so the thing that I'm, I'm trying to say here is that Paul, first and foremost, he understood the people he was talking to. He took time to observe the city he was in and see how they were working. Uh, one of the things about sharing the gospel is to know the audience you're bringing the gospel to. Well, you know, while the content must never change, and we always say this, the, me the message is sacred, but the method in which we deliver that message isn't necessarily. There's lots of ways to reach people with this sacred message. And if you're, you know, if you're preaching to kids, it's going to be different than what you're going to get in this service. So you approach your audience uh, to your audience, depends on who they are, and you can know that by your observation. Uh, when I graduated Christ for the Nations, Back in 1991, by the time I graduated, I'd formed a rock band, and we had a vision and a, and a passion to go into play in the bars and present the gospel that way, but kind of stealthily, because if you preach in a bar, you're not going to get invited back. So we wanted to take the time to build the relationships with people, and so we just put the message in our, in our songs and just let the songs do what they did. And we just prayed and said, God, use the songs, use the words, use the music, do whatever. We're here for you, and we're here to be a light in this place. And um, Stephen played many nights with us in that band. And, and Friday and Saturday nights is what we were normally doing, doing uh, four- to five-hour gigs on the weekends in these bars, long, long hours. And then Sunday morning, most of us would be on the music team at church. Um, But back then, 
You know the rock concert we had here tonight with the worship band? Which I love it. It wasn't just a rock concert. It was, we rock for the rock. And, but, I'm sorry. The mu- but rock and roll music back then, it was just, Shane can attest to this, it just was pretty taboo in the church. And <laughs> so we face, a, the, the, the adversity that we face or the, the challenges that we face came from the people within the church. And, and I have to admit, I had some anger issues over that deal. I'm like, we, this is a difficult thing already as it is to be in this and then to have our own people questioning our motives in this uh, just was tough. And um, so we had a man by the name of John Garlock come to our church. He was a teacher, professor at Christ for the Nations for many years. As a matter of fact, he's the one who taught my dad how to preach. And uh, dad teaches his homiletics class even to this day. He's gone on to be with to, uh, with Jesus, but he came and preached, and I asked him, because the man just had so much wisdom, and I asked him, I said, Brother Garlock, I'm having some problems here. I said, I've had some people give us some heck about this, and uh, what do I say? Because I just get angry, so I, I know that's not the right answer, and, uh, and he said, well, if a kid gets sick, the mom and dad, they don't give their child the medicine they take. They give the child the flavors they like. Aspirin in a grape flavor or cherry cough medicine. And he said, that's all you're doing. You're just putting the gospel in their flavor. I said, thank you very much. And so I shared that with everybody who asked me the question, why you do what you do? I said, we just put the gospel in their flavor and their flavor is hardcore rock and roll. And the specific place that we, we would play at was a place called the Spotlight. <laughs> and in some circles, it had a other name, Bloodbath. Because I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It was rough. You ever seen the movie Roadhouse? I don't recommend, as a pastor, you to watch that movie. I'm just saying if you happen to see it, maybe you can understand what I'm talking about. It was that kind of place. <laughs> Fights all the time. Rough, rough, rough people. Rough people. Uh, but we, we wanted to be there. And... Um, and, and be amongst them and, and bring a light. Well, we had been there, we'd been playing there probably a year at, at this point. Um, just about every other weekend. And I remember uh, the lady that ran the door, Pam, she came, she came up to me one night. She, she would take, you know, the people's money and stamp their hand. And she came up to me one night after we'd taken a break. She's like, you guys, you're not like all these other bands that come in here. What's up with you? I thought, well, we're caught. I said, believe it or not, I said, the guys that you see here tonight, that you see here on the weekends, I said, we all go to church together and we play music in church. She's like, what? No way. Y'all play in church? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you ought to come. And she came. And she got saved. And then her husband was ill, was very sick, was dying actually because of the years of drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And I got to go to the hospital with another guy from our church when this man was leaving the earth and lead him to Christ before he died. And then Pam stuck around. And then the church launched this this outreach service to go into the, the poor parts of town, the barrio, 
and bus these children into church. And they were doing a Sunday afternoon church. And Pam got so involved in that and just stayed with it. She got filled with the Holy Ghost and found her mission in the house of God. Now, I think about that. I think about all the time that was spent in there and, and knowing what we were going into and, and in some ways hating the atmosphere, but knowing that they needed to hear the gospel and just to get in amongst them and give them what they loved as far as music. But in that music, there was light and life. And my brother got creative after a while because we... We played almost all original music, wrote almost our own, all the time our own songs. So when you're in an atmosphere like that, you know, they're going to cry out for some songs that they know after a while, especially after they get very drunk and um, get cantankerous. So my brother, I could, I'll never forget the first night he ever did this, and then he tried it a few more times, and it worked every time. Because when they're drunk, I guess they, they can't, you know, judge the situation right. And I have to admit as the only sober people in the room, I don't know who was more entertained, them or us. But my brother said, and, and you hear this rumbling amongst these guys. This one specific really rough group of guys. I don't know any of these songs. So we're like, okay, 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 okay. We got to get creative right now. So my brother's like, all right, who wants to hear some Led Zeppelin? And they were like, yeah. So they come up to the stage, right? They're like gathering around. So we just start playing. He goes, just play one of our songs. I was like, what? He goes, let's play one. So we just start playing one of our songs. And I'm telling you, the entertainment we got that night to watch these guys act like they knew the song we were playing. <laughs> Love that one. You know, it was great. So God helped us, that's for sure. But Jesus said, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Now, I've, any fishermen in here? So I, I've been fishing. My father-in-law is a big-time fisherman and, and uh, lives on that great bass lake, Lake Fork. And, but I, I've been around him enough to know that it takes different kinds of baits to catch different kinds of fish, baits and, and lures. And, and God has made all of you here all so uniquely individual that only you can catch certain people. Only you. And you're going to have to see yourself as that special and that purposeful in the earth that God is depending on you to reach those in your sphere of influence. So that's where you got to learn about those that are already in your life, the neighbors, your co-workers, to open your ears and listen and look for the opportunity, the inscription to the unknown God and go, there's my opportunity. Paul was in Athens, and he was among philosophers, educated people who thought that they knew more than he did. And he knew them to be a very religious people. So the next thing in Paul's uh, method, I should say, besides just his general observation of things, is that he then got involved in the religious conversation. And verse 17, look at this. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So Paul started, and you see this pattern over and over. When Paul would come to a city, he would go right to the synagogue. Remember that? He would go right to where the Jews were. For, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, remember he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation uh, to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 
So he made that his mission. So everywhere he went, he went to the Jew first. And the reason is because Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. It was Jesus was, is the Messiah that was foretold by all these Jewish prophets from years prior. And Paul went to a place where he could find some common ground. Uh, he preached to the Jews and those God-fearing Gentiles. So he began with the people who had a, a similar worldview as he did. But then he took it to the marketplace, the scripture says. He went to the synagogue, and then he ended up at the marketplace where the pagans would be. That's us. And, and he talked with them. And, he, and, and that's, what, that's literally, in the literal text, what the scripture says, that he dialogued with them. He listened to their questions, and he responded with God's answers. And sharing the gospel is more than just merely telling others what you know and believe, but taking the time to listen to answer their questions. And to Paul did both of these things, and he did so from a position of understanding, like I was talking about last week, having an open mind. Having an open mind, that is the kind of mind that would listen and to respect other people, but it's a biblical open mind. Right? Not to expand your religion by what they say, but really rather to seek opportunity to share Christ. And this Let's look, let's look at verse 18. Then certain uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? And in verse 28 says, for in him, this is Paul who says, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being, as, some, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Uh-huh. All right, now Paul, his method moves into intellectual comprehension. All right? So he knows who he's dealing with, he's, and he's very well versed with the philosophy of the day. Uh, he had apparently had studied their beliefs and even read their literature as he was just able to quote some of one of their poets. And uh, he took this understanding and applied it in his gospel presentation. Isn't that powerful? The scripture in verse 18 says that he was conversing or debating with them. It says that they came and encountered Paul. Uh, that can be a uh, an argumentative kind of encounter or a, or a disputing, but it also can mean to, to converse, to considerly, uh, cons- consider carefully, I'm sorry, and carry on a discussion. So we find Paul actually quoting one of their poets, and so he knew about their philosophy, he knew about their traditions and their literature, and he had become a, a student of his culture, so he would better be able to convey the message of Christ. So, you know, this is really where patience comes in, isn't it? Patience and understanding. Our culture is a culture that, you know, that embraces more than ever, you know, humanism and um, uh, even ex- existentialism and uh, existentialism. I don't have time to go into the whole gamut of that, and you're grateful for that, I know. But it basically, in a nutshell, is living without certainty but having human responsibility. What a sad, sad way to live. So their whole existence is about doing, right? Their whole existence is about doing. I, I, I don't know of an afterlife, and I don't even know why I'm here, so I need to start doing something. All right? And that's why there's lots of charities born, and I, and I think all those things are wonderful, but many times the reason for those things is so that people can feel good about their existence. 
And the, the sad thing is, is that so many Christians are just baffled by this and they cannot or don't want to understand it. They don't like it. And so they just merely try to avoid it. But Christ does not give us that luxury. He calls us to go into our culture and to change our culture. All right? So, everybody all right? And then Paul, after he walks through this process, if you will, of observing things and pointing out that he has seen those things and having religious conversation and being intellectually involved. Now, check this out. Look at verse 23. He says this, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Then he moves right into a pointed confrontation. All right? There came a point in this preliminary groundwork after it had been laid that Paul cuts to the chase here. And he confronted them about the differences between falsehoods that they believed and what he knew to be true. And this can be a difficult thing at, at times too. At times too because, you know, it's a lot easier just to say, I'm okay, you're okay, and we're all okay. But the moment Christ comes into the picture, then it becomes very exclusive, doesn't it? Because then you, when, you, when you preach him, then you have to say what he said. And he said, I am not one of many ways, not a way, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All right? The great theologian Bono says um, that you cannot... Christ does not allow you the luxury to just put him in a one category of good people or, or one of many prophets. He doesn't allow you that luxury by the outlandish statements that he made. You have to deal with this man, Jesus Christ, and you have to come to the conclusion that he is either a raving lunatic or he is Lord of all. To say no one comes to the Father but by me, that just said all other religions in the world are false. That one statement alone. Amen. So it's that exclusivity of Christ that causes many Christians problems and even to cower because of the overwhelming mindset in this world that is quite opposite. Listen, Paul understood that he had to come to a point of confrontation to a point where he showed them the difference between truth and error. It happened for him. He had a major point of confrontation as he's riding down, angrily riding down the road to Damascus to take more Christians, men and women, drag them out of their homes and bring them to judgment for this way that they were preaching when there was a great point of confrontation by Christ himself who shone down from heaven and said, why are you persecuting me? And he knew it was that point of confrontation that changed his life. And if we're going to be to faithfully present the gospel to our culture, we will have to come to that point of confrontation. There is no way around it. We've got to show the way, the only way. And then from here, he simply presents the gospel. I want to finish with this. Look at verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. I'm kind of wondering if he's not 
pointing at idols at this while he's saying this. As though he needed anything since he gives life to since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Verse 29, therefore... Since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. And he's talking about the time when God's only interest in the earth was the Jews. Nobody else was in God's scope of interest. But when Christ came up out of that grave, the gospel came to the entire world. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Isn't this glorious? Paul just, he meticulously walks through this thought process. And he starts off by saying, one God is the creator of all things. He's supreme above all creation. He tells them that everything that is comes from God and that all of humanity has been created by him. Men don't create gods. God creates men. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And this, he is the God of time and of life and of all things. And then he jumps down to verse 27. He says the man that... That, that man does not seek after God because of his sinfulness, but that man is created in God's image so that makes him theistic. That is, he's, because he looks like God, then that's who he's searching for. And, and in verse 30, he calls them to repent, that is, to change their minds. You've been thinking wrong. You, you're dancing around all these philosophies and all these ideas when you need to change the way you think and understand that you don't create the world you live in. God made it. Yeah. Verse 31, he declares to them that God has revealed himself to humanity in the form of his own son. God, knowing that men could never be like him, even though at one point Adam was just like God, but yet when he sinned, he no longer could be like God. And religion is just man's attempt to be like God. That's all it is, but all of it fails, all of it falls short, and God knew that it would. He said, none, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So God would not leave us in that pathetic and pitiful state. Instead, he said, since that cannot happen, I must become like them. So then, because men could not become like God, God became like men. Hallelujah. And that one man became the sin center of the universe so that through the righteousness, the righteous state, men then could be sons of God. Hallelujah. 
And he says that Jesus is going to come and judge the earth, and he preaches to them the resurrection. And look at verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. God, think about this. Is Paul... Has Paul done a really good job of presenting the gospel? I think he has. I think it's just he's really presented the case well. But it says some mocked. What does this tell us? You're not going to win everybody. And God didn't call you to be successful. God called you to be faithful. Amen. He just called us to share the gospel. Remember the sower sows the word. What kind of ground it falls on, you're not responsible for that. You're just responsible to scatter the seed, to tell them. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to tell them the gospel that saves them. Amen. It's the gospel that has the power to save. We're called to just simply share that story to a culture that needs to hear. And I love, I love that in that kind of environment of intelligentsia and philosophizing, Paul just brings this simple story. God, who is one God, created everything created everything and he created us just like him so that we would search for him and then God became a man and that man died on a cross for our sins and he was buried and he rose again from the dead an incredible story so be certain of what you believe that's one effective way to share the gospel. First of all, to know the gospel. (laughs) That's a good start. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. There's the message. That's it. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. But not only be certain of what you believe, but also be aware of what others believe. Take the time to listen. Because in listening, you find opportunities. Be prepared to share. Pray for God's guidance. Pray for His help. Hey, God loves them way more than you do. I can promise you that. And speak up. And this last verse from the NIV, if we can put this up here. Peter encourages us in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. On that starry board. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Amen. Father, I want to say thank you for this time together. We thank you for this amazing example that we have in the Apostle Paul who got in amongst the people who observed their lives, who understood the way they thought and then presented the gospel. And I thank you, Father, that you help everyone here, all of us. We all have this commission from God to bring this gospel into all the world. And we know that it starts right with those 
who are in our sphere of influence. We see them every day. And Father, I thank you for giving all of us here today the wisdom, the wisdom, the courage, the boldness. Because Lord, it's, it behooves us to do this. And we don't need to pray for you to help us love sinners. We just need to love Jesus. Love him enough to do what he tells us to do. (laughs) And to help Jesus to do our part to help him receive what he paid for. And people are his reward. And we want to get Jesus all the reward that is due his name. Father, let that gospel compel us to tell others. Let it not sit quietly and dormant in our own lives, but that, as Jeremiah said, it would be a fire that is shut up in our bones. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That it would burn within us, God. That your people would seek the opportunity, look for them, listen for them so that we can share this amazing story. Hallelujah. I thank you, God, for your grace here tonight, that it abounds to your people and your peace. I pray would be multiplied to all those here tonight. I declare in Jesus' name, no evil shall befall these, and no plague shall come near their dwelling. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. They bear them up in their hands lest they dash their foot against a stone. I thank you, Lord, that a thousand may fall at their side and 10,000 at their right hand, but it shall not come near them. They shall be far from terror and from oppression. It shall not even come near them because they are established in righteousness. No weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against them in judgment, they shall condemn. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. And I thank you, Lord, that that it is your pleasure to prosper your people. I thank you, Father God, that they walk in health because Jesus took stripes upon his back, that they would be whole in Jesus' name. And I thank you that as we go from this place tonight, that we go lit up with the gospel in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.